this is my 35th year of teaching at the Bible Lectures Straight. I started when I was three years old. Seems <laughs> legit. <laughs> and I really decided, um, you know, I've spent 35 years um, trying to have a class that either had a depth to a passage of scripture that had brought joy to my journey that I could share in a meaningful way or teaching a new spiritual formation practice, which is what I've given my life to, of teaching students in spiritual formation. And uh, I've done that consistently in lots of different ways, lots of different venues. We've had grand pianos in here with a pianist from Texas playing hymns while I shared um, a thought and an insight from scripture. I've, we've done lots of things. But this year I thought, you know, I'm gonna put all of that away. I'm going to put all the books away and all the commentaries and all the exegesis I could do. And after 35 years, I'm just going to share my heart. I think it's time for us to just sit down and really think about what's going on in the world and what God might be doing in the world. So I really do want this, and I'm, in so many ways, I'm really glad it's small. Um, uh, because I really would love to have just a conversation with you. And... Um, we're gonna look at two questions that I think are pertinent to what's going on. I graduated from this place 50 years ago. No, that's not right. I opened this campus 50 years ago, this fall. Randy was student body president in 1972 and we opened this campus. We had um, five dorms up behind the Howard White Coffee Center and five women's dorms and five men's dorms. We had Pendleton, which is the library, Tyler Campus Center, which is the cafeteria. We had Appleby Center. My maiden name was Appleby. And I got here and I thought, oh my gosh, they've got my name in a building. <laughs> I mean, when you have a name like Appleby, you know, you don't see it very often. And I thought, I do belong here. Look at this. <laughs> um, what else did we have, Randy? We had Appleby, uh, but that's about it. I mean, we had Elkins. We had Appleby and Elkins, the cafeteria, the library. No sidewalks, no shower heads in the dorms. Um, I mean, it was an amazing, we had no gym, we had no fire stone, we had no chapel, we had no theme tower, um, no graduate, nothing going up the hill. No president's house, nothing, it was just a bare bones campus. So you could imagine what it's like for me to come back 50 years later and uh, walk on this campus and see what God has done in this place. It's amazing. But the day I graduated, um, Bill Banowski was president and as I've learned is common to do, mother wanted my picture with the president. So we're standing there, you know, and he's got his arm around me and we're looking at the camera and he said, um, Rhonda, did you find everything you were looking for when you came? I said, oh, Dr. Banowski, I did. I said, I, I thought I was a music major. I came here to study church instrumental music. I was a Baptist, yeah. <laughs> you know, pianist. And I found out that that's not my calling at all. You know, I'm a teacher. And there, there's got to be a little humor in the Baptist pianist coming here to study church <laughs> instrumental music. But I was clueless. Okay? <laughs> I was the fool that Randy Harris talked about last night. Um, and I said, and I, you know, 
I found a deeper faith. I said, I've, I found the love of my life. Randy and I are going to be married in a couple of months. And I, I've just, I found everything that I needed. It was just, it's been wonderful. And he looked at me and he said, that's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at him and he said, you know, if we had done our job, you would be leaving here with a lot more questions than a sense of you've, you've got it figured out. And I bring that 50 years forward to today, or 47 years, it took me a little while to get through here. Um, because I really do think that that's really good advice for us as we, as I titled this class, The Church Rowing North. And the idea there, it's a book by Mary Piper. Piper, she wrote Reviving Ophelia, if you've read that one. If, if you've got young girls in your life, I highly recommend Reviving Ophelia. But Women Rowing North is, is also a good book. But I just took her title and changed it a little bit and said Church Rowing North, with the idea that, and we don't have to spend a lot of time, we all know that um, we're headed into some turbulent water. We're headed into some class five rapids and you just had to look at the crowd last night and stop and say, what are you doing here, God? <laughs> that it, it's gonna be hard. And uh, we're in a culture that does not embrace our faith, that is no longer, uh, we are not a Christian nation. Christianity has moved to the Southern hemisphere. And, uh, and we just, I don't need to tell you, there's a thousand students that will be divided among 14 schools that are Church of Christ related schools this coming in two years. Well, that's 71 students per school. 71 Church of Christ kids at Pepperdine is gonna change the dynamic of this place. It already is. But places like Lipscomb and Harding and these places, when you've only got 71 heritage kids in your tribe, it changes the complexity of that school. And we truly are rowing north. And I'm not here to argue that we need to be exclusively church. Don't hear that. Just hear the, that it's a different time. It's a different rowing. It's a different, we're, we're going north now instead of being able to sail south. And I think, I think the most important thing for us to do is to have the right questions as we go. We've, we've got we've got to really think about what those questions are. And so many times we get here and, and we've had the luxury of being able to deal with questions that don't really matter. Uh, we've dealt with issues. And Randy has spent his life helping people understand the difference of, of what he calls above the line and below the line and I wish he could share this part, but the issues are things that are tangible and measurable um, uh, that we take positions on and, and we fight above the line. And if you go below the line and you go down to the interest level of each other and you really ask the question about what God is doing in the world. What, what are the interests that we as Christians ought to have? These, these things are not measurable. They're not tangible. Um, 
Let me give you an example, two or three examples. Um, last Sunday in church, in Sunday school class, we were talking, uh, where I attend is, is thinking about um, expanding to include women in the eldership. You know, and there's <coughs> positions up here. Yes, women ought to be able to do it. No women ought to, you know, and, and we, we're here. And you can just see it happening. You know, we're polarizing the church. Mm -hmm. And people are saying, what are we going to do? You know, how do we do this? How, you know, how many are on this side? How, it, it, it's a business model of church. Well, it's the wrong question about should women be elders. The question is, what kind of a community are we going to be? That's the question down here. Um, and we could go on, but I, I can kind of tell in your faces you get it, that we've got to go down here. So I really want to deal with just two questions today in our time, and I really want to talk about them. I want to interrupt me. Please just stop me. Uh, because the first question I really want to talk about are what are the confessions of our faith? What, what are the tenets of your faith that are most important to you? And that's a hard question to answer, maybe. <laughs> um, because my fear is that we have spent most of my life telling people what to think instead of how to think. We've taught them what to believe instead of how to experience God so they do believe. And, and so we're at a point now where we're rowing north against the tide with a ship full of people that don't really have a grasp on what they believe. And that's a pretty dangerous place to be. One of my favorite all-time vacations is uh, whitewater rafting in southern Oregon. I love it. I mean, it's exhilarating. I mean, down on the Rogue River in southern Oregon. Um, it's, it's where they filmed the river runs through it. It's absolutely gorgeous. Eagles soaring over your head as you go down these rapids. And, you know, but I put my little kids in the raft. Invited 16 of our friends to go with us in their own rafts. Kind of as the instigator of this vacation with a group of friends. And the only reason I could do it was I had been down that, raft, that river before twice. Once with a 93-year-old woman, and I thought if a 93-year-old woman can do this, my friends can do it. But, but more important than having a 93-year-old woman was that I knew Jimbo was in the back of my boat. And I knew Jimbo had been down that river multiple times. And he knew that river. And whatever happened, he would get us through it. Do we have that experience in our churches? Who are the people in your churches that you know 
can help you get through those rapids, those class five rivers that are going to give you some bumps along the way and give you mouths full of water and are going to protect your children and keep them in the boat with you. Who are those deep people in your church that know the tenants? And to whom are you that person that they can depend on? Um, that's the question that I think we've got to get to the point of asking. Of who are, what is it we really truly can believe? And we're, Anna and I were just talking, but what, what's the hill we're willing to die on for this faith? Um, and how do we change the culture of our church? And I'd love to hear what you think. How do we change the culture of our church so we are not a community of teaching our kids what to think, but how to think? We were having lunch, and think about that for a minute because I want to talk about it. Um, we were having lunch Monday with some friends that we've known for a long, long time. And, and she asked me what I was doing, and she said, um, you know, Rana, she said, I took my kids to Sunday school every Sunday. I took them to VBS every year. And I kind of assumed that they would grow up having faith if I did that. And she said, um, you know, and again, I, I listened to her and listened to her heart. Thankfully, she does have three kids that I think are walking with the Lord. But she said, I don't think that was what I needed to be doing. She said, you know, again, I was taking them to a place that was teaching them what to think instead of how to think. It's my job to teach them how to think and how... What, what did I do in my life to teach them how to experience God? How to think theologically? Um, and how do we change our culture to do that? Thoughts? Well, I'm that kid. <clears throat> I mean, I'm going to be 50 in three weeks, but I'm that kid because that was the basis of our faith. We just went to church every time the doors were open, and then... We weren't at church, we were at home, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't, didn't really cross over, which, you know, that's, that's how my parents were raised. That's, mm -hmm. So they just passed me along. And so I'm the, I'm the kid that your friend was talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I believe what I believe because that's what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how to experience God if we're just having a conversation and being yeah. open about it. I don't no. know how. Yeah. I get jealous of people who came to their faith <coughs> in adulthood because they know how to do it. They make that choice. Mm -hmm. I was kind of born into it. Mm -hmm. And so this is a very relevant conversation. Very mm -hmm. relevant. Mm -hmm. Do you have any ideas of um, what a community that surrounded you could do for you that would help you with that? What, what would a community look like? Well, te teaching me how to think, not mm -hmm. teaching me what to think. That is, mm -hmm. I mean, that's very profound uh -huh. and very accurate. Uh -huh. You know, and so 
learning how to do that mm-hmm. would be great. Okay. Like, and my husband and I have chosen not to have children, and we're very happily childless by choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't, hearing children's stories and, you know, about, that doesn't minister to me. And so yeah. figuring that out, there yeah. are, I, I can think of three couples right now, myself, one of our elder couples and another couple at church that are our age, no, there's four, our age that have all chosen not to have children. But that's that's not a common occurrence. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's geared away from us and toward people with families. And so maybe I realize we're a niche population, but uh-huh. you know that would that would speak to me too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would hope that a community um, that's allowing you to experience God, that's affirming and helping you understand how to experience God, that whether you have children or don't, that, that's not the point. It should be immaterial. Yeah. yeah. You know, and again, that's an issue. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, in experiencing God, it's not the interest of whether or not you have children. Right. What difference does it make? You know. I think that's one thing I struggle with my, with my particular congregation. And I'm hesitant mm-hmm. to say which one it is because it's kind of famous. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> matter. We don't care. <laughs> but um, the, the, the basis of the existence of the church is really in kids mm-hmm. and drawing families in. And so that, I don't know how I got to that, mm-hmm. this tangent that I'm on right now. <laughs> 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 I don't know if I drive your bus, but that, No, it's not. It is, no, 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 no. Um, it is relevant to us because mm-hmm. that limits the teaching, I think, of how to experience God when mm-hmm. we're just focused on bringing in kids. Mm-hmm. Mike, ideas? Oh, so many. Uh, <laughs> so many. Um, I'm, the, I'm our youth minister with our church up in Tyler. And so these are things that I'm constantly wrestling with, with the kids. and But we also have a church that has been around for 70 plus years and to me it shows it shows it's a 70 80 year old church because people have um, it's just what they've done <laughs> is there this is this is their life it's not their legacy it's just part of their life and uh, when you live that way it, it absolutely shows how you engage each other how you engage others um, and how you engage God uh, when it's just what you do and not what you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so trying to wrap up, summarize the many thoughts I would want to spew out on you. Um, <laughs> what I try and do within the context of youth ministry, I'm also the church administrator, so partnering with other ministry leaders and mm-hmm. helping give them resources and help them in what they're doing um, to try and help the culture maybe steer it a different direction is you know that that passage in psalm 34 just what the confession of our faith my faith is that you know taste and see that the lord is good and mm-hmm. there's so much there that i love to unpack of just experiencing christ mm-hmm. and who god is and what he's done what he does in your life daily and what he's done in the past that you just never the weight of what he has influenced in your life 
is so much more significant than most people realize. Mm -hmm. And what he will do is so much more significant. And, um, but it's, it's trying to help people be disciples rather mm -hmm. than do discipleship. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, it's in order to do that, you have to engage mm -hmm. each other. You have to engage Christ daily, um, whatever that looks like. And part of that is rather than making people think it's homework or to-dos, it's this is an experience, mm -hmm. you know, and that's going to be part of the next 10 years of lingo and churches, mm -hmm. you know, where now we talk about community so much and why we talk now we're going to talk about you know, like read your Bible every day. It's like experience time with Jesus every day mm -hmm. or something. We're going to start using that, overusing that for the next 10 years and then we'll mm -hmm. change it after that. But then, you know, modeling it. Then, like you're engaging it, lead, so working from the top down, leaders modeling it to members, members then modeling it to their kids, and how they parent and live this is mm -hmm. like we say, we talk about verses, we say this about church, but this is what you see that we are doing and how we are engaging it. So, engaging it, modeling it, and then I think one of the most effective things that our culture and churches, you know, we're about five years behind the lesson, but learning how to in, um, speak speak uh, from our, you know, the confessions of our faith, our beliefs. So there's a book um, recently, I can't remember the author, but it's saying is believing. Mm -hmm. And it's really encouraging young people, it's encouraging really anybody of any age of, you know, if you ask many Christians of any age, you know, why they became a Christian or why they're faithful in their walk with Jesus, they're like, oh, uh, because of this, and they'll give you the Bible answer. You're like, no, 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 but why? Like, break that Bible answer down. And then that's where you get deeper. That's where you can challenge people to experience faith or experience a relationship of, oh, like, this is more than, why do you love your wife? Well, because I'm married to it. Yeah, but like, why do you love your wife? Or why do you endure this or that? Or, you know, why would you persevere through this or that? Why would you persevere in your faith? Of, a culture that despises you or doesn't really get along with you. It's like, well, this is, this is, but you have to learn to speak. I mean, people don't want to, they're scared of that because they don't know how to do it. So it's, it is having a community around you where you learn to speak that with each other openly and honestly of, I don't know if I believe this part of what we're saying. It's like, and then some, you might find, like, yeah, I don't believe it at all. I'm like, oh, well, well, great. Like, what, what do you say instead? Like, oh, this is what I say instead. Uh, or this is what I believe instead. You might not believe that either, but this is what I've come to. And then when you're able to engage honestly with each other and then learn how you articulate with people you trust, then you can step out to articulate with people that you might not know so well. Yeah. <clears throat> Randy taught me years and years ago that when we ask questions that begin with the word why, <laughs> we get defensiveness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We get, oh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that if you begin question questions with why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, again, it's that's issue stuff mm -hmm. of why, why do you believe that? Mm -hmm. Well, you're going to get issues. Right. If you go underneath and say, how have you come to that belief? Mm -hmm. Or what, what about that causes you to believe? What, how do you love your wife? Mm -hmm. That gives them a sense of what's going on in their life that's causing them to love their wife. Mm -hmm. What are they doing? Yeah. Yeah. 
what are you doing to love your wife? That, that's a different question. And that's the question. See, the, I mean, how subtle. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it's like so easy. Why haven't we figured this out? But that's the conversation we need to have. And we, you know, how are you experiencing God? For 16 years, I had the privilege of uh, speaking to parents as they dropped their kids off at Lipscomb every year. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of the last session before they said goodbye to their kids. And it was, it was so fun. Because they're all so nervous. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, what are you going to do to my kid? You know, and I was there as, as a mother and as a first lady to say, hey, friends, you know, this is going to be all right. I've done it three times. And, you know, and I'd tell some stories about it. But, but one of the things I told parents was I said, um, you know, we're in a generation right now where kids are not going to church. I mean, let's just, you know, let's just be real here for a minute. Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, your kid's probably going to be in bed. And that's just going to be reality. But don't panic over that. Um, because they may be doing more church than you do. <laughs> they're going to be having Bible studies in their dorm rooms at 10 o'clock at night. And they're going to go to sanctuary on Thursday night and sing. And they're going to, you know, and we kind of go through the litany of all the stuff they're going to do at a Christian college. And they're going to be serving downtown, and they're going to be doing this and that. So don't call your kids and say, you know, where'd you go to church on Sunday? And have you placed membership in a church, in a local church? It's not going to happen. But that's not what you really care about anyway. Call your kids and say, have you experienced God this How have you experienced God this week? And the joy right now is this generation, that's what they want to talk about. Mm -hmm. They don't want to talk about church membership. Where was that in scripture? They want to talk about, and, and the next week call and say, how's your prayer life going? You know, what, what's your prayer life like right now? Because that's what we need to be talking about. And that's, I think, one of the things that will give tenets to our faith, will ground us. Mm -hmm. um, This place, you know, the motto of Pepperdine is you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. I think for so many years in our tradition, um, truth has been something that we thought we could achieve, that we thought we could have. And we, we went with cups that were full. We had the truth and we, we needed to teach the truth. We needed again to tell them what to think. This is the truth. What's the truth? What's he talking about there? What's the truth of your life? You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolutely. So is it the teaching or is it the master? Well, he is the truth. That's right. That's the point. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
So, I mean, what we've done is we've taught our kids the teaching. We haven't taught them the relationship with the master. We haven't taught them to walk with him and talk with him and tell him their life journey. And, and again, I think that, that gives not only our kids, but it gives us tenets and depth to our faith. It's when it really is about relationship. I think the same is true of scripture. I think we've taught the scripture as, as a constitution for the church, mm -hmm. a set of bylaws, and we've read it that way. We've read it for information to prove everybody else wrong <laughs> instead of seeing it as a living, dynamic book that the Holy Spirit speaks through. And, and this is one of the avenues that God uses to speak into our lives. And the question is, are we reading it for transformation of our own lives to be more like him? Are we reading it for information? Mm -hmm. It's, I think scripture is relationship. I don't think it's our constitution. And I, I think that's what it means to be inspired. I mean, uh, often, you know, we can spend some time talking about what it means that scripture's inspired, but one of the tenets of my faith, and, and I really only have two, um, but in my life, it's the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the sovereignty of God. And it's the inspiration of scripture. Those are the only two hills I'm willing to die on. Um, everything else, I'm willing to talk about. Because if I've learned anything in my life, I've learned I could be wrong. <laughs> 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 well, I may be right, but I won't say that. <laughs> well, I mean, it really is. I mean, I think it's. Um, I think it's important to know where your tenets are, and uh, know what they are. Know why you believe that, because we're not going into a world that's going to allow us that freedom to not know what we believe and why we believe it. Um, Yeah, what he's talking about is something I figured I learned uh, years and years ago. And it's really when the psychologists finally started talking to the theologians. Um, it, it was a new day and it was wonderful, you know. I mean, we spent so many years in opposite camps fighting and we finally sat down at the table and started talking to each other. And it was like, oh, wow. But what it, it's Bloom's taxonomy is what it is. But what it really means to be human is that every human being has four domains of what, how we transform our lives. And all four of those domains have to be engaged for transformation to take place. Psychology taught theologians that. Well, lo and behold, it's all the way through scripture. <laughs> I mean, it is so biblically 
it's, you know, it's like the work of God in our lives is now supporting what is being written here. But, um, and they are the knowing. You've got to ask, what do I need my students to know? Because there's a body of information that we know and that we have to know. The second one is the doing, is the physical nature. Um, there's some things I want my students to do as a result of my lesson. Physically get up and do. That's how we learn. That's how we engage. That's, our physical bodies have to be a part of our transformation, even our spiritual transformation. Third domain is what we call the volitional domain or the feeling domain and it's our emotions have to be engaged. Um, and the last one is that existential domain, it's that being domain. It's our soul that has to be engaged. And, and we come out of a tradition, and, and really if you think about it, the question of what are the confessions of your faith is really a a 15th century question. And it was the first time humankind really began to ask that question because up until then, humans were not readers and they hadn't really thought about, I mean, it wasn't until Gutenberg developed the printing press in 1440 in the 15th century that human beings really had the ability to ask questions about what do we really believe? And they began reading and they began to read emotion and gave physical engagement and all that. And they went, whoa, 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 you know, it's more than just a head learning thing and being told what to think. I've got to get in here and, and get engaged. And so out of, out of 13th century or 15th century theology came creeds, you know, and there was one camp that said solo scriptura, only scripture, we're just, we're just going to read it, do it, don't think about it. Don't engage any of that. Just read it. And then there was one that said, no, 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 no. We, we will follow the Apostles' Creed and, and do that. And then there was another one that said, only Christ. We're not going to read. We're just going to experience Christ. We get Pentecostals out of that. You know, we get emotion out of that. Um, there was another one. There was four. Solo Scriptura. Uh, um, and then there was no creeds at all. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to pay attention to that. What I'm here to tell you is, again, and hear me, is all of who we are as a human being is what it's going to take to follow Jesus. He doesn't just want our heads. And he doesn't just want our physical doing. He made our emotions every bit as much as he made our brains. And he does want our emotions to be engaged. You know, I got a pew from my grandmother's church. Uh, I had it just mailed down when they were selling the church and getting rid of it. I said, ship, ship me a pew, I want a pew. <laughs> they did, oh my gosh, it is so uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, no wonder kids didn't sit still in church. You know? yeah. I mean, it is, nobody cared about how we felt in the 50s. It was sit down, be still, and be quiet. You know, they didn't care. Because we were in the Enlightenment age, and it was all about the doing and the knowing. 
Well, all of that has shifted now. We're all about feeling. I mean, millennials, it's all about, you know, what I want and what I feel. And, and we're kind of throwing this side off. And, and I'm saying it, it's going to take all of that to know the tenets of our faith. So as you think about the tenets, as you go here, and, and I hope you really will spend some time alone with God and say, what are the things that, that you know, what are the hills I'm going to die on with you here? Make sure there, there are things that engage all of who you are as a human being and not just your head and not just your body because that's the tradition that we come out of. Um, and that being, that existential being, we've had a low theology of Holy Spirit, which has given us a very low theology of the existential domain. Um, my students are very, very willing to talk about the spiritual world. They don't know how a cell phone works. They can't tell you one thing about it, but they know they depend on it every day. Well, why wouldn't I mean, I don't know how the Holy Spirit works, and I don't have to know how the Holy Spirit Well, my parents were not, if they didn't understand it, they didn't go over there. You know? <laughs> And uh, so I hope that's helpful a little bit as you begin to think about it. Second question that I want us to deal with, and we've only got a few minutes left. Um, in fact, none, right? Is that right? I got about a minute or two. Um, is what kind of community are we going to be? We kind of started there, but I think it's a because I think so many questions we're dealing with in our community of faith and in Christianity, way beyond our tribe, but is what kind of community are we really gonna be uh, going forward? And everything else goes down here. Um, role of women, um, all of that depends on what kind of community we're going to be. You know, when the church, when the church started, when Christianity started, it went to Greece. And it was really a philosophy in Greece. It was a way of thinking. When it went to Rome, it became a national movement. Constantine took it and became national religion, if you will. And it stayed there. When it went to Europe, it became a culture. The, the, you know, first family. I mean, it, it became a church. Of, it continued to be a national faith, but it became culturized. When it came to America, what did it become in America? Obedience. Obedience. Doing it. I'd like to submit to you that it became a business. We made it a competition. We made free enterprise out of it. We made, um, it, it's more than money, but, um, but we have really taken leadership um, as power. Randy Harris taught me years ago that there is nothing. Jesus never said one word about leadership. How many hours 
as our community spent talking about leadership. And again, last Sunday, you know, that, that was the point, was um, we got the wrong question here, guys. <laughs> you know? If we could get rid of the power of what we put on the elders and we go back to a biblical definition of what an elder really does and who that person really needs to be in a community, there's not a person in there that wouldn't say absolutely women can do that. Because they don't run the church. They don't have the power for decision making. They're the shepherd. Craig, Craig Barnes wrote a book called The Diary of the Pastor's Soul. And in it he said he was president of Princeton Theological. I'm going over a little bit. But it, Princeton Theological and he preached for big Presbyterian churches. And he said, you know, I left my last church. And he said, you know, it's kind of a big deal. And he said, I thought... Oh, these people are going to love me. They love the shepherd. And I've been the shepherd of this church for a long time. And he said, you know, people follow the shepherd. And people love and care for the shepherd. And he said, I'll, I'll be fine. No problem at all. He said, I retired and walked out of that church. And he said, nobody followed me. I know a little bit about that, Randy. And I retired this year. He says, nobody followed. Nobody cared. And he said, I thought, wait a minute. What's going on here? And he said, I realized. I'm not the shepherd of this church. There's only one shepherd. And I've spent my life really as the sheepdog, running around, biting their butts, barking at them, trying to get them to follow the shepherd. I'm just a sheepdog. Well, if we could see elders as sheepdogs trying to run around behind us, pointing us toward the shepherd. I mean, who wants that job? <laughs> um, but what kind of community are we really going to be um, and I think there are only two choices are we going to be a community of hierarchy we're pretty good at it we've got structures in the church that are based on hierarchy where we're telling each other what to think. We're telling each other what to do. And the other one, which I think, this is a Unitarian community. And the other one is what I think is really reflected in the Trinity, which is what we are, reflect, what we are created to do is to reflect community, reflect relationships. When we were created in Genesis, it says, let us create humankind. Listen to the plural pronouns. Let us create humankind in our image. In the image of God, he created them. That tells me we were created out of relationship into relationship for the purpose of reflecting relationship. So if our community is to reflect, let us create them. And what are, what are the two words after that? He created he them. He created them, male and female. What does that tell you? To reflect the image of God, you gotta have both male and female. Working with the Spirit.
to reflect the image of the Trinity. That's how we were created. So what does that look like 2100 years later? I think it's a, a community um, where it's non-hierarchical relationships. Get your head around that one for a minute. Working with the Spirit, it's the only way non-hierarchical relationships will work, is when you're both tethered to the Spirit, both tethered to God. The power is in God, it's not in us. Working together to reflect that. I want to submit that that's the only thing the 21st century is. We row north. It is the only thing we have that the world hasn't beaten us at already. That the world, Red Cross does better at crisis. They beat us to it every time. We want to get healthy in our physical bodies. We don't call the elders of the church anymore. We call the doctors. We have marriage problems. We call marriage counselors. We don't call the church. We want to borrow money. We go to the bank. We don't call the church. Well, why does a church exist? The world doesn't need it. As we row north. So if we're in a world that doesn't need the church, what do we have? The only thing we have is to reflect Trinity. Is to be a community where they look at us and go, how in the world does that work? We can't do that without hierarchy. Because they're not tethered to the Spirit. They don't understand it. And that's our testimony. That's our confession. That's the community that he's called us to be. Where people are not polarized. Our people are not canceled out of our community. Everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. I close with a story. I was taking Greek at Fuller. And uh, the church started studying the role of women. This was 30 years ago. And I went in on a Wednesday night, and I was standing behind a curtain, and they didn't, couldn't see me. And one young woman asked another woman, why are we doing this? Why, why are the elders having to study this? Now, you can imagine 30 years ago. And I said, well, Rhonda's in seminary, and we don't know what to do with her. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's what they said. And it hit me like, you know, a ton of bricks on my head. So I went to my Greek professor who was Orthodox. And um, I knew his church had a very, very conservative view of women. And I said, Father Sam, can we talk? He said, sure. So we went for a walk at the break. He said, Rhonda, tell me your story. He was so wise. Tell me your story. We all live in a story. The question is, whose story are you living in? I told him my story. We got back to the seminary door. He put his hand on to open the door. I said, Father Sam, you have not told me one thing about how you came out of your church's theology about women. I've done the talking. And he says, Rhonda, you've only forgotten one thing. 
Hallelujah. I mean, he's going to give me the accent mark on that Greek verb that's going to change everything. You know, I was like, come on, you know, it's got to be something simple here. And oh, if he'd just given me another rule to follow. But he looked at me and he says, the church already has one savior. He did a very fine job at Calvary. And he doesn't need your help. Quit trying to fix the church. Go love the church, rather. Go love it. I've spent 34 years trying to love this church. And I'm sitting here today saying, I deeply love you. And I love this church. And I praise God that it will never die. It's his church. It's not ours. And while we row north, and while it looks hard, he's got it. Let's go love it. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for these people that are more dear to you than we are to each other. But thank you for giving us to each other to share the journey. Take these words and the meditations of our heart and make them yours, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.